What's up, Dub Nation? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast of Sports Ethos presentation. Sam Orlick here, your host. We've got a bunch of news to cover and get into today. Warriors coming off of a tough, tough loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves last night at home. Warriors currently sitting at 6th in the standings. They are one win ahead of Minnesota. We've got a three-way tie in the loss column. 37 losses for the Warriors, the Timberwolves, and the Pelicans. Uh, Clippers, one less loss than the Warriors. Suns, two less losses than the Warriors. So, Western Conference standings still very much in flux. Warriors were Warriors unfortunately had a very nice opportunity had they beaten the Timberwolves last night to push themselves into fourth place, um, if not fifth, and create a little bit more distance from falling into the play-in game. Now, uh, Warriors again, like I just said, in a three-way tie in the loss column with the seventh seed Timberwolves and eighth seed Pelicans. Um, Warriors have two more games at home, uh, one against the Pelicans and one against the Spurs. That's going to be on Tuesday and Friday, respectively. Three more games on the road um, at Denver, and then you've got, uh, sorry, at Denver, at Sacramento, and at Portland, and you got one another home game against the Thunder. So Warriors looking at six games left in the regular season, three at home, three on the road. Um, Coming into this game against the Timberwolves, Warriors, a very nice three-game win streak, uh, back-to-back wins on the road against Houston and Dallas. There were a lot of things just working out very well for the Warriors. Obviously, the putrid stretch of consecutive road losses finally broke in in Houston against a very porous Rockets defense. The Warriors, very happy to see um, kind of a lottery-bound team in the Rockets. Uh, It was no cakewalk closing out that game, but Warriors certainly took care of business. Follow that up with a very, very tough game in Dallas against the Mavericks. No Kyrie, but Luka was on a tear. And it was the brilliance of Jonathan Kaminga leading the team in scoring. Draymond Green really anchoring the defense and coming up with big plays down the stretch when it mattered most. He had an incredible corner closeout block on Reggie Bullock, as well as the final possession of the game, uh, which was top blocking Luka, forcing a pass um, basically to the baseline and then uh, forcing a Luca miss at the rim. Um, not to mention uh, the play before that, Draymond sealing um, Curry's defender, giving Curry an open lane to the rim to um, basically hit the game-clinching layup to put the Warriors up by two. Um, there were some other weird stuff in that Dallas game. There's this weird play, I'm sure, Listeners are well aware uh, who watched the game. It was towards the end of the third quarter. There was an out-of-bounds 
um, call when the Warriors had possession. It was ruled uh, Warriors ball, and then the Mavericks called timeout. So um, the Mavericks thought that somehow it was their ball, and basically, long story short, Mavericks lined up on the wrong side of the floor. Warriors lined up under the Mavericks basket since it was their ball, and Warriors got a free layup. Um, Mavericks are protesting that game. I haven't seen any updated news as far as um, the NBA overturning or doing anything with that. I'd be very surprised if they did. Um, don't think Mark Cuban and, and the Mavericks really have a solid case for um, the protest, nor do I think the NBA will will retroactively do anything despite it only being a two-point game. Um, then you had Warriors... First game at home after after the five game road trip at um, against the Philadelphia 76ers. No James Harden. Embiid was just a menace the entire game. 46 points. So many free throws. So many jumpers. Warriors really had no answer for Embiid except Jordan Poole came alive in the fourth quarter, scoring over 20 points all over the place, making all sorts of plays, attacking the rim, hitting threes. The Warriors really ramped up their defense when it mattered most and were able to come away in an eight-point victory, 120 to 112. Um, Then you got the game against Minnesota. Um, A lot of different storylines to cover here. Um, Again, through this, and, and sorry, a little bit extra background here to set the stage, through this stretch of games, uh, Warriors continue to miss Andrew Wiggins. No news or updates on his return out for personal reasons. Uh, GP2 continues to be out, but was slated to practice on um, Saturday the 25th, uh, assuming he may return on the 26th, which he would, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. Um, and Iguada continues to be out. So Warriors... Still incredibly thin on the wing. Jonathan Kaminga, Anthony Lamb, and DiVincenzo continue stepping into bigger roles. Um, Again, as we said, Draymond Green really kind of stepping up as the season's coming to a close, anchoring anchoring their defense. Um, And Jonathan Kaminga coming into the game against... The 76ers, through a three-game stretch, Kaminga was putting up averages of roughly 29 minutes, 21 points, five rebounds, three assists, a steal, nearly a block, one turnover, shooting 8 of 12 from the field, about 66%, two three-pointers a game, and 80% from the line on three attempts. Um, Kerr called this road trip for Jonathan Kaminga, the best five game stretch of his career. Uh, Just dramatically better than when he first arrived. Testament to him and his work ethic. So we've seen this before from Jonathan Kaminga, where he seems to go through these stretches of games where everything just seems to work out for him. I don't know if it's the matchups, him just feeling in the flow, the Warriors going to him some more. But Kaminga just flying around all over the place, hitting open threes, especially in the corner, aggressively attacking the basket, playing very solid defense, making the right reads and plays, getting his teammates involved, just really being an integral part 
for the Warriors in their rotation up and down the floor. Um, obviously, against the 76ers and the Timberwolves, um, that was not the case. He kind of came crashing down a little bit. Um, again, at home against the Sixers, Kaminga, 16 minutes, 1 of 7 from the field, 1 of 5 from 3, 1 of 4 from the foul line, 2 rebounds and 2 assists, um, and 3 personal fouls. He was a team worst minus 14 on the night. Uh, but it wasn't for lack of trying. Uh, Philadelphia dared Kaminga to shoot threes, and they were good looks, but they didn't drop. And then defensively, Kaminga was a little too aggressive trying to double-team Joel Embiid, often leading to fouls. Um, and then again, offensively, Kaminga did try and attack the rim and draw fouls, but was unable to convert at the foul line. Follow that game up um, last night against the Timberwolves. Kaminga was, again, kind of at the bottom of the roster in plus minus, minus eight. He only was out there for 14 and a half minutes. Two of four from the field, 0 for one from three, one of two from the line, one rebound, one assist, two steals, two fouls, five points. So um, this is just how it is for young players. Um, and we've seen, again, we've seen this before from Jonathan Kaminga. He goes on these stretches where everything seems to click and you really think he's about to take off. And I don't know, again, if it's the matchups um, or the scouting report, whatever it is, but teams really kind of daring him to shoot from the outside, not allowing him to get going um, in the paint um, and get and get downhill. And it has led to some struggles for him after an incredible three-game stretch. Also, in the scope of all of this, we got to talk about Gary Payton II. So GP2 did return against the Timberwolves. He looked great. It was honestly such a boost to have him back out there. He played for 15 and a half minutes, which could also explain um, some of the limited playing time for Kaminga. Peyton in that time was three of four, one of two from three, two of two from the line. He had um, a block and nine points. Now, uh, biggest takeaway for me with the return of GP2 was the defense. Obviously, um, no surprise as, as GP2 is probably the best defender, uh, wing defender on the Warriors right now. Um, simply because of his versatility, his high IQ, and his experience. Now, um, you know, one would like to hope that at one point in time in the future, Jonathan Kaminga may overtake him for that kind of lead wing defender role. Um, but also, you know, consider Kaminga's size and Peyton's size. And there's an argument to be made that, you know, really they play different positions, even though there's a lot of times that you slot in uh, GP2 at kind of that forward small ball center slot. Um, there were many times that I saw Nas Reed, Rudy Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns um, get to the rim and um, pivot, drop step, whatever, try to make a secondary move after Draymond or Looney stopped them on the first GP2 would come in to help defend with verticality and force a miss at the rim. Um, and it shows in the box score. Minnesota held to 
99 points on the night. Um, that is the third lowest um, scoring total for an opponent. Uh, sorry, tied for second lowest, right? So only three games this season have the Warriors held their opponent to under a, under 100 points. Um, interesting enough, all of them have come in the month of March. So um, at or sorry, at home against the Clippers, the Warriors held them to 91 points. The next game at home against New Orleans, Warriors held them to 99 points. So um, that Minnesota game tied the Clippers, or sorry, tied the New Orleans win uh, for second lowest scoring total for their opposition. Now, Warriors were just absolutely incredible defensively, including a 10-minute stretch where they held Minnesota without a field goal. Now, the unfortunate thing is Warriors couldn't get a shot off in their own right. Uh, Minnesota played very good defense um, themselves, limiting Steph Curry and Klay Thompson to uh, become volume shooters. Curry, 8 of 23 from the field, good for about 35%. 4 of 13 from 3. He had... Uh, 20 points on the night. Clay Thompson, 5 of 17 from the field, under 30% shooting, even though he's 5 of 11, five of 11 from 3. So you don't mind too much, Clay, 5 of 11 from 3. That was good. But Clay missed a lot of twos. There were a lot of wide open mid range jumpers that are normally bread and butter for Clay Thompson that just did not fall. Clay was still plus 13 on the night, team high. Curry. Um, had lots of good looks from three at the rim, um, also had trouble converting. And it was really Jordan Poole, again, consecutive games here that kept the Warriors from being blown out. Poole had a team-high 27, 8 of 16 from the field, 3 of 8 from three, 8 of 9 from the line, um, just all over the place, dynamic scoring, attacking the rim, um, taking very difficult shots, he only had three turnovers, which was tied with Thompson and Curry. Draymond had five, so you don't mind the turnovers too much in this one. Warriors had uh, 16 turnovers on the night to the Timberwolves, 17. Um, but when you look at some of the stats here that try and tell the story, Timberwolves uh, attempted 25 free throws to the Warriors, 17. They hit on 14 of those. Warriors hit on 13. Um, Timberwolves shot 34 from 80 from the field, 17 of 40 from three. Warriors shot 34 out of 82 from the field and 15 of 40 from three. So um, Warriors don't typically get outscored at the th from the three-point line at home, but Minnesota spoiled that for the Warriors. Um you know, Carl Anthony Towns hit two monster threes at the end of the game. Warriors just really self-sabotaged here in this one. Um, you know, two-possession game, Warriors had the ball. And at a point where all you really needed to do was draw a foul, Jordan Poole turned it over. Um, Carl Anthony Towns came down and hit a three. Um Despite all of that, Warriors still had an opportunity with two and a half seconds left down by three to tie the game. They were unable to do so. Um, you know, earlier in the fourth quarter, 
Same thing that happened in Minnesota. You had three possessions in a row where uh, Jordan Poole turned it over. Um, Timberwolves score. Next play down. Steph Curry turns it over. Timberwolves score. Next possession down. Draymond Green turns it over. Timberwolves score. Um, And again, 16 turnovers on the night, so it wasn't a turnover fest the whole game. But... Minnesota's hungry and they played hard the whole night. They knew what was on the line with this game and the tiebreaker um, and all of that. And Warriors just, you know, they let their guard down. They lost focus, unable to execute. Um, You simply cannot throw the ball away and be so careless with the ball, especially in the fourth quarter in important games and give the opposition life. Um It was a shame for how well they play defense, for the GP2 homecoming, um, for Jordan Poole and all the things he did offensively, um, for the Warriors being able to rally down 10 early in the second um, to taking a lead at halftime. Just so many storylines, so so much attrition in this game. Timberwolves basically running two centers the whole game with uh, some combination of Nas Reed, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. You had Kyle Anderson making all sorts of plays. Um, Warriors really bottled up Anthony Edwards and Mike Conley and Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, um, just until the end of the game. Again, when Cat hit those two monster threes to uh, to really put, a, to put the game away. And so for the Warriors, again, it's... It's just a reminder that sometimes you're your own worst enemy. I mean, these were more or less unfor- unforced turnovers. These were not incredible defensive plays that Minnesota made. These were careless passes. These were um, just not taking care of the ball to the degree required in order to close out an important game at home. Um, and nothing's going to come easy. So, What does all of this mean? Again, um, the Warriors are still in sixth place with one win over Minnesota and two wins over the Pelicans. Warriors have a very important game ahead of them against the Pelicans tomorrow on Tuesday. And then uh, followed by what should be a easy win over the San Antonio Spurs. Again, those are both home games. Very tough game in Denver. Then you come back home to play the Thunder um, and then two more games on the road to close out the season at Sacramento and at Portland. So ample opportunity here for the Warriors to um, hold on to sixth place for seeding. You know, Clippers are without Paul George, so there's an opportunity the Warriors could move up a little bit um, potentially. But again, from a seeding perspective and playoff perspective, you know, I don't want to talk too much about playoffs yet, playoffs and matchups yet. I want to save that for another pod. But um, I don't think the Warriors are in a good enough position that they can consider, you know, trying to intentionally lose games to remain in sixth place if they really didn't want to be the four or five seed. I think if you're the Warriors, you go out and play your best ball and try and win every game and try and get home court advantage. So, um, you know, I don't know for all my listeners out there if you have 
Um, you know, if you think you have a preference, if the Warriors face um, Sacramento in the first round or um, the Clippers uh, or Phoenix. So it's going to be very interesting. But again, I think for me, the biggest thing was it was very evident and clear that when Jer- when Gary Payton II was on the floor, the Warriors defense was incrementally better, um, exponentially better. It was very clear. Shots were being changed at the rim, um, and it wasn't like Payton had three or four steals, and it wasn't like Payton was um, doing all of the, his work individually. You could just tell how much of a boost it was to have him on the floor defensively. The whole The whole team... The five-man unit on the floor was able to operate much more effectively, cover more ground, close out on shooters, force misses, and rebound. Um, Rebounding at a very high rate um, against the Timberwolves. It was uh, 49 total rebounds for the T-Wolves and um, 37 for the Warriors, which, you know... Out rebounded by twelve, but um, that's not so bad when you consider the size that Minnesota had, and also um, how many misses there were on the night. So, um, and also those rebounds, Warriors were not giving up offensive rebounds. I think that's the biggest thing. Warriors forced Minnesota to miss, and they rebounded those misses more or less. So, very encouraging there. Um. DiVincenzo only played 20 minutes. Be interesting to see and track that. Um, But again, Jordan Poole's been on the rise. So Poole played 30 minutes. Uh, DiVincenzo did not attempt a three. Um, That's going to be something to monitor because guys got to score. You cannot always just count on Curry to score 40, on Thompson to score 30. Um, These guys need help and guys need to hit open shots. And you had... Um, Anthony Lamb take three shots, attempt a couple threes. Peyton took a couple threes. Kamingo only took one. Um, most of the scoring was put on Steph, Clay, and Poole, um, for better or for worse. I mean, Draymond had 12, and, and it was very much needed all of those points. Peyton had nine. Um, Looney was one of four from the field. So, um, again, part of it is the matchup. Minnesota's probably the biggest team in the league with uh, their starting lineup of two centers. Um, And so that put a lot of pressure on the Warriors and and they really mucked up the paint. And then Warriors just did not have a good three-point shooting night. Um, Plenty of open looks, plenty of good looks that just did not fall. Um, So I don't think, you know, again, we talked about the turnovers down the stretch, which hurt, but obviously the poor shooting from three as a team... Steph and Clay individually struggling to score at a high rate and Jordan Poole really keeping them in the game and then everything that GP2 did defensively in his 15 and a half minutes. Just very encouraging for the Warriors to close out the season on a high note and be in a good position heading into the postseason. Um, you know, the fact that Peyton played 15 minutes and didn't seem limited, um, he hit a three in the corner. He had a couple layups. I mean, you can just already tell that this guy is going to be in a lot of lineups. Steve Kerr is just absolutely going to use the crap out of him. So versatile. So many different ways you can plug him in. Um, Such a 
such a boost for the Warriors, just energy-wise and mentally. Um, finally getting this guy back that they traded for, you know, it feels like two months ago. Um, so many positives and so many good things. So, you know, despite coming off of this disappointing loss to Minnesota, the Warriors, again, having won their last three games, really feels like they are starting to hit their stride as they had kind of talked about the whole season, wanting to be hitting their stride down the stretch in March and April. I think we're starting to see that. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see how they bounce back again um, in this very important matchup against the Pelicans. So that's all we got for you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. Please give me a follow over at Twitter if you haven't already. That's at SD Orlick. Subscribe, rate, and review the show. Let's go Dub Nation again, taking on the Pelicans tomorrow on Tuesday. And we'll catch you on the next one.